Welcome to AgriFood Bites by FTI Consulting, a podcast that aims at exploring the latest trends, challenges and opportunities in the agriculture and food sectors across different continents around the globe. This series looks at emerging agri-food issues around World Food Day on the 16th of October, which promotes action to protect the future of food, people and the planet. Welcome. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Wendy Lissasogl who is the Chief Economist at the Agricultural Business Chamber. And we're going to be speaking about the topic of sustainable food production. Specifically, we're going to look into what the right tools are for South Africa or for Africa more generally to have in order for us to turbocharge our sustainable food production. I'm Lelos Kasana from FTI's Joburg office here in sunny South Africa. South Africa's role in global food production and the global food production landscape is very significant. This is due to our agricultural diversity, our exports, and the contribution that we make to global food security. And, as, uh, of course, um, the contribution that's made by specific sectors like wine and citrus production. Our agricultural practices, innovations, and research also have significant implications for global agriculture and for sustainability efforts. The objective of our discussion today is for us to explore technology's impact on sustainability in agriculture, and we'll be contributing to a broader discussion that FTI Consulting is leading in the run-up to World Food Day, which will be on the 16th of October. Today's discussion will cover the importance of sustainable food production in South Africa, key technologies and innovations in South African agriculture, some of our challenges and opportunities, and the role that government policies and private sector cooperation have. Wendele, I've introduced you as the Chief Economist of the Agricultural Business Chamber, but I know that's just one of your many roles. You're a Business Day Economist, you are a lecturer, you are a member of the Presidential uh, Economic Advisory Council, you're a podcast host, and of course, you're an author, with your latest offering being A Country of Two Agricultures, which I hope we can chat a lot more about um, a little bit later. But please say hi to our listeners, and please feel free to introduce yourself. Yeah, thank, thanks so very much, Lelo, uh, for bringing me on here. Always good to interact with the colleagues at FDI Consulting. Um, and indeed, I mean, I think all of the work that you've highlighted that I'm doing, it's broadly in line with the discussion that we are about to have today, which is about how does the South African agricultural sector continue to be sustainable in this ever-challenging environment and really be able to thrive and contribute to the growth in the country. And I think importantly in all of these um, uh, roles, I mean, I'm always halted with pride the fact that I'm still associated with the Department of Agriculture Economics at Stellenbosch University to pass on whatever little knowledge that I have. So I'm looking forward to our conversation and thanks for, for having me on here. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mandita. I think I think it's fair for us to dive straight into some of the subject matter that we're going to be doing. And I think it's a sure. good way um, to maybe introduce it with just the issue of sustainable food production in general. Um, I don't think there's anyone more appropriately qualified to answer this question. So um, it is a pleasure to ask you, what is your assessment in terms of the sustainability of South Africa's food production? Um, I think I think that will be the first question. And in answering that, maybe you can give us some thoughts on what extent have has South Africa been able to use technology to improve our agricultural outcomes? I, th- I think in, in answering some of those questions, I would say let's think back to 1994, because it's always a benchmark year when we think about the democratic South Africa and what has happened. 
Uh, you hear a lot of people when they look in South Africa right now, anyone who's listening to this podcast sitting in other parts of the world, they will know that uh, South Africa faces a number of challenges on the economic side and the political side. There's a number of challenges that we face. And there's always a pessimism that has uh, been there in society where some people even feel that um, the country, perhaps if you think about its agricultural sector, is now doing far worse than it was pre-1994, which is always something that is wrong. Because if you think about South African agriculture today, it is in fact more than doubled in value and in volume terms from 1994 up until today in 2023, as we are having this conversation. But then to come into your question, it's always a, a, an issue to say, what has contributed to that growth? Mm. It is doubled from 1994 today. What has been driving that? Mm. I think what has been driving that is a couple of things. The first one, it's around the widening of the export markets, um, getting into more demand uh, in the EU, uh, in an African continent, in Asia. So there is that demand pool approach, which has made then the South Africans to say, look, there are many people demanding our products. Let's produce more high quality stuff to put it out there. But I think the second part of it is in line particularly with the, the, the focus of our conversation today, which is technology. It has been part and parcel of driving that. And by technology, then, I would mean about two things. Uh, advancements on seed breeding and in genetics in the animal science side. And secondly, in the mechanical side. So the technological side, driving productivity has been one part of that, as well as a demand. I would say at a high level, those are some of the key things that have been able to drive the agricultural sector to the level that we see it um, enjoying uh, to today. And then the part of the sustainability comes into the into the question to say, are we doing all of what we're doing in a sustainable way? Mm. And I would say maybe pre-2000, maybe people were not paying as much attention as we are. But I think the drought that hit South Africa in 2015-16 really woke everybody up to say, listen, Climate change is serious, and we need to do something about them, the, the ways that which we produce. At the time, I was with Grain South Africa, which is the, the producer organization or a farmer organization that sits with the farmers that pretty much represent just over six grain commodities, major grain commodities in South Africa. And that's some of the things that we're thinking about was to say, how do we make sure that conservation agriculture is practiced by as many people as they can? Uh, farmer land and all of this climate smart agricultural practices are some of the things that we apply, really thinking deeply about the sustainability matter. But also saying, how do you infuse technology on that to really work cooperatively with the seed breeding uh, organizations so that they are better able to produce some of the seeds that can withstand the ever-changing climatic conditions while at the same time aware of the environmental consequences that what we are doing. So I would say technology and the sustainability has been part and parcel of the South African agricultural uh, genesis in all of this uh, 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 journey that we have been in to say, look, we need to do what we can, but let's do it in a sustainable way. So I would say it's part and parcel of that. Um, Fantastic. Um, no, really terrific answer there, one day there. And I think uh, you went into depth uh, with some really interesting concepts that I'd like us to unpack a little bit further. Um, specifically, you you mentioned um, climate smart techniques. Um, obviously, with the climate emergency um, causing as much havoc as it is in terms of global weather patterns and, and all other inputs that are critical to the agricultural sector, um, I'd like you to maybe explain some of these and, and, and even go into a little bit of depth in terms of what exactly is involved in conservation agriculture um how has the mindset 
of agriculture shifted um, to take into account the very real threat of, of um, climate change? Yeah, I think that one of the mistakes that we, we always hear is that people say, look, the, the farmers are polluting or somehow they don't care about climate change. I mean, that, those are some of the things that you read in some of the sites. But what we forget is that farmers do not read about climate change. They feel it. Because if there's a drought and you are a maize producer, a corn producer, or you are a, live, a cattle farmer somewhere uh, in the eastern seaboard of South Africa or in central South Africa, when there is a drought, you feel it. And it's your animals that die. You are the ones that put the seeds on the ground. So I think it is that real to people. When we say, when we hear folks saying, look, somehow in agriculture, there isn't um, a seriousness about climate change issues. I, I think people are unfair about that. That, What then the, the farmers also have to contend with, which is a reality, is that you are running a business that has to be sustainable. So in as much as you are adapting to climatic change uh, aside, there's also a business sustainability that you have to consider on that, which is then that balancing act of saying, okay, I'm reducing certain uh, agrochemicals that I am using, which may be good for the environment, but at the same time, how do I balance the path of making sure that I still get the good quality uh, crop yields that I can be able to put into the market? Now, going back to the whole thing about the conservation agriculture, of course, at the time at Grenadine, we had people that were from the soil science department, a gentleman called Dr. Hendrick Smith, who was leading that particular work. That involved uh, less tilling, for example, of the land to say, instead of getting to KwaZulu-Natal province of South Africa and really tilling much of the land in all of the areas, can we do what we call no-till so that there's minimal soil disturbance? And by doing that, the soil structure and the nutrients and the moisture is not is is, is conserved onto that, but at the same time we can still be able to plant um and go on uh, with that. Other people who are in the medium-sized farms, they can do a lot of rotation also in their in their in their practices of their crops. Others can do what we call living certain fallow land, which is why some people drive into the central South Africa where there are these big major farms. They're like, yeah, but there is farming and then we always see some empty plots of land. What's going on? We should get on that land that is not farmed. But those pieces are left for those fallow land for the rotation so that we keep certain um, uh, parts of the land and conserving the soil nutrients and all of that. So there is all of those practices. But of course, then this gets deeper and technical when you move into horticulture which is then the fruits and the vegetables, because there some apply netting and apply advanced techniques on the irrigation methods and all of that. Mm -hmm. But the point is, you're trying to conserve water and not use and waste water, mm -hmm. and at the same time, not to waste nutrients and not to abuse the land that you are in, because at the end of the day, you draw your livelihood in that piece of the land, and if you don't take care of it, you have problems for the next season. So it's usually around that, and I think for me, the most important uh, discussion we should be having is also to say, how can technology developers work hand in hand with developing countries and advanced countries, farming um, in the food sector to say, let's bring technologies that allow us to adapt better to the changing climatic uh, environment and also to have as minimal disturbance on the environment when we are practicing our agriculture as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's something, and it has to deal with the issue of improving also productivity. Mm -hmm. And those are the discussions we should also be having just globally around that aspect. Yeah, no, 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 thanks, thanks, Mundi. Um, I think a very clear answer and very illustrative from from my perspective. Um, but uh, I'd like to just pick up on the thing that you, you mentioned in terms of productivity. Um, I think maybe a question out of my own ignorance, um, how 
productive are we um, compared to our global peers? Um, and I think that's a, a question that's going to call for you to just possibly give a matter of fact in terms of what the status is there. But I think what I'm more interested in is um, what are the opportunities for us to get those numbers up? Because I can imagine that if we're not as competitive or as productive as we'd like to be, then there's a considerable incentive um, for us to be able to improve this. So if you have any thoughts on that particular issue, it would be great if you could share. Yeah, I mean, and I'll answer this in two ways. Because we are talking here, I mean, FTI is a global uh, organization. And you sit in Johannesburg, you represent Africa by virtue of it. But where you're sitting in Johannesburg, you are quite different than someone who's sitting in Gaborone in, uh, in, in, in Botswana mm. or sitting in Nairobi, Kenya mm. or somewhere in, in West Africa. They, when we think about these markets, they are quite different. Mm. So let's take it in two ways, South Africa and the world. Mm. If you think about South Africa's agriculture compared with South Americans, with Canadians, Australians, the Americans, mm. it's pretty much, I would say, roughly around the same scale in as far as the technologies that gets to be applied on seeds on machinery and then you see also in terms of yields then that people do get in south africa they are comparable mm. and our listeners can go for example a simple method on this go to our world in data the guys in oxford mm. and you click there in their website under crop yields and once you click on that you can select wheat or maize or any of the the crops in there and you look at the yields of south africa and select a couple of these countries that i was mentioning in south america as well as in the in, in the northern part you will see that the yields are pretty much on par and i would say it is far as productivity then thinking about how much money we put on the soil and how much we get on it i would say south africa is reasonably sitting at a much more competitive mm -hmm. scale on that but where the problem begins is when we think about the continent mm -hmm still moving with maize because it is a staple crop and a political crop in Africa. Mm. In South Africa, we get on average six tons per hectare on maize. Mm -hmm. Elsewhere in the world, the Argentinians or the Indians and the Chinese, they will be roughly around the same scale as us, the Americans being on nine or so, a few hectares of, uh, of barbers. But if you look at the neighboring countries to South Africa, the entire continent, uh, perhaps with the exception of Zambia, you find that the yields are like half a ton or one tons per hectare, mm -hmm. which is far away from South Africa. And what differentiates that, and the listeners will appreciate, is the issue of seeds that are used in South Africa compared to some of these countries. As Africa used genetically modified seeds and all kinds of technologies in as far as crop production and, and everything else, and its peers in the emerging markets and the developed world are colleagues. And then in the African continent, you find that these technologies are not there, but they even more painful thing for me to the question that FDI is having about sustainability, climate change, and just the food systems is the fact that there's important work done by Tom Jay, who's a, a economics professor at Michigan State University, and even our colleagues at BFEP, the Bureau for Food and Agricultural Policy, which makes the point that if you look at much of the African countries, with the exception of Zambia, South Africa, perhaps, much of the improvement in output in agriculture, particularly cereals, grains, from early 2000 up until today, it has been through the expansion in area planting, 
which means then if you're at forest, you're cutting down the forest, you're expanding the area plantings in order to get more agriculture instead of actually being the yield productiveness, which is then where I say, if we care about sustainability, we should really be thinking about productivity mm -hmm. instead of cutting all of these trees and growing things mm -hmm. everywhere. And I think that's what the African governments need to be thinking about, about accepting better technologies on seeds and crop protection and all of that. Mm -hmm. No, 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 for sure. And I mean, I think, I think, uh, thank you very much for that answer, um, Wandil. I think it gives, um, without trying to be too cheesy, food for thought. Um, I think, I think a brilliant, brilliant answer to that. But um, I am conscious, Wandila, that you have um, just completed um, a lot of analytical work, um, which I think takes expression um, in your book, um, A Country of Two Agricultures. And I did want to just uh, have a discussion on it for sure uh, and ask you um, from all of the work that you did in terms of preparing um, that 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 contribution to human knowledge what would you say is the the thing that you found most interesting or the thing that you think our readers um, would really appreciate from that um, could be anything maybe a funny story or your most insightful um, piece of analysis there um, just something for uh, as a teaser for people to to get a taste of the kind of analysis you do then to go and run to the closest bookstore to get a copy. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I'll specify a point then you know, and say, go read chapter three. And then folks who go and read chapter three, I, I want you to read the whole book. <laughs> For sure. So, I mean, what, what I would say, though, I mean, yeah, anyone who's familiar with South Africa, we're struggling at a national level with about three broad problems in South Africa. We, we have a problem of higher unemployment and poverty. Mm. Uh, we have a problem of low growth and we have a problem of inequality. Mm. And what I was trying to do was to say within the area in which I've been blessed to be part of, what contribution to knowledge can one make about towards resolving some of, the, of those problems? Which is why the book on itself, it comes with the title, A Country of Two Agricultures, because in addition to those problems, the inequality aspects also comes on a racial terms in South Africa, where mm -hmm. there is still black people, black farmers in an agricultural context that are still sitting in the far end of smallholder, low productivity, um, and lower end, less resources. And then you have the higher end, which is the commercial farmers, and largely large-scale and white farmers in South Africa. The question then is to say, 1994 to today, where are we and what has been happening? And the numbers, I mean, are, are there themselves. I mean, mm. black people in South Africa, they produce roughly about 10% of the overall um, commercial output that is out there. And mm. there are clear mm. answers mm. about what's behind that. Part of it is history, mm. but part of it is also the failures on the uh, democratic government when actually integrating people in a sustainable way over time about how to resolve that. Mm. Then the book, what he was attempting to say was to say, look, we cannot remain with this um, disconnect that we're having because in the political economy context, in the long run, it's not going to be good for anyone. There are young kids that were part of the FISMAS phone and the other things mm. that will not tolerate some of this as they grow and they become young adults and they participate in South Africa. Mm. We may have been able to cope with this because the older generation in South Africa, they know what a rough politics can actually do to a country. And then they were able to have some tolerance. Then it was to say, guys, we need to resolve this before it becomes a problem. Mm. But the dualism is not only on racial terms in South Africa. It goes deeper than that. It's also in a geography. Mm. The former homelands areas in South Africa, they still in the periphery mm. of the agricultural progress. And then the question there is to say, what is it? 
It might be issues around institution, it's financing, it's infrastructure, all kinds of things. <laughs> then what the book does, it takes that approach and saying, how do we progressively make sure that we add uh, more people in a commercial space? And I talk about something that I say, growing the agricultural pie tapping in some of the underutilized land. Mm. Because as I speak with you now, South Africa has just over 2.5 million hectares of land that it can still put into production. Mm. And if you get a sense of that, imagine the current grains and the oil seeds that South Africa produces today. Mm -hmm. It is all produced in about 4.3 million hectares of land. Mm. If then we have 2.5, almost half of that, mm. that can be produced. Of course, not all of it will be grains and all seeds mm. and crop, but the point is, it is a sizable amount of land mm. and we can do something. It is in that part then where we can create a new class of commercial black mm. farmers in there, which is why I use the concept in a book, which is say, better few, but better. Because you do need to create a certain class of commercial black farmers while at the same time still supporting the smallholder farmers. Mm -hmm. But you cannot say you will continue to focus on smallholder farmers because you will have this dualism and this parallel system that we have. Mm -hmm. So the book grapples with all of those things and then puts up a couple of proposals about what to do there. If you are private sector, what can you do? If you are in a policy side, what can you do? Leaning on examples, because it's not all been bad and uh, mm -hmm. and then dualistic. There are really great South Africans like Nick Fontaine in Central Free State was doing a lot of useful work. Pearls in the Western Cape doing a lot of useful work and many other organizations um, that are doing amazing work. Then the question is today, how can the private sector and the government work together, utilize master plans and close this dualism that we're talking about? That's the gist of what the book attempts to, to put in. But then I had to write it in a narrative perspective mm -hmm. and in an easy format because people are busy with other things. You're not going to write them another thesis. Mm -hmm. It has to be an engaging material. At least that's what I hope that they, they, they do. Mm -hmm. And many people on, on social media have been very kind to me to say at least I did come closer to doing that. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, thank you so much, um, Wandir. And I mean, I think, I think um, having heard your description of that, I think South Africa is characterized by duality. And um, it's certainly going to be very high on my priority list to find out the details of that duality in the agriculture, in the food production space, because we all know how foundational that is for any society's um, success. Um, so from our perspective, Wandila, we've had a great conversation. Um, we'd, we'd most certainly like to thank you for your time, um, for being able to share some key insights with our audience. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, FTI Consulting would also like everybody to please... Um, um, explore some of the ideas that Wandile um, has described here and, and go into some of that material, um, in part uh, historical, but also in part in terms of what South Africa can do um, in order to get con considerable uh, improvements in our agricultural outcomes, but also to, to start moving the dial on some of the bigger societal issues that we're grappling with. Um, I think I think with that we can conclude. So thank you so much for your time, Mandela. Really appreciate it, um, and can't wait to engage you further um, on on issues relating to South Africa's food production. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on.